To the Granite Cornerstone. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Granite Cornerstone podcast. We are happy to have you here with us tonight, and we are here for our sixth episode. You can't go it alone. Tonight's episode focuses on mentorship and the initiatic process and how that interacts, how we interact with our candidates after they've received their first degree. This is a continuation of last week's episode and is the second in a three-part series. As with last week, the views you hear expressed tonight are the views of the individuals who express them. And the individuals who are going to be joining me tonight are the Right Worshipful Grand Lecturer of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, Right Worshipful Brother Chris Busby. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tim. How are you? Good evening. Also joining us again is the Right Worshipful District Deputy Grand Master of the 2nd Masonic District, Right Worshipful Scott Newbury. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, Tim. And joining us tonight for the first time is the Right Worshipful Grand Education Officer of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, Right Worshipful Brother Dave Ackridge. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me and good evening, brethren. Looking forward to it. So, brethren, tonight's episode, we are hoping to have a, a lively discussion between our panelists this evening. But in addition to that, we also want to hear from you, our audience. So if you're joining us tonight, please feel free to join us in the chat over here on YouTube and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Additionally, I've been reminded by the members of the Grand Lodge Communications Committee to multiple, multiple make sure times. everybody knows that you can reach us by email. I'm going to flash that email address here up on the screen. It is granitecornerstone at nhgrandlodge.org. And obviously, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube when we stream and on our pages. Additionally, uh, Chris, where are we um, for podcast services? We are on um, iTunes and Spotify currently. So you, uh, we're going to be expanding that out a little bit, but not quite everywhere you get your podcasts, but two, uh, two big properties. So. so if anyone is sick of looking at my face and just wants to hear the dulcet tones of my voice, you can download me in an audio version <laughs> every week on iTunes and Spotify. And now with all the housekeeping out of the way, let's get to it. So we are here tonight to discuss mentoring. Last week, we discussed the process of initiating a brother, the petitioning process, the voting process. And so now let's take off from that journey and assume that this brother who we talked about last week is here. He's in, completed his first degree and he's standing in the East about to be assigned a mentor. What do we do? Um, I, what I want to talk about now, I guess, is the responsibility of the Lodge. As the master of the Lodge, you're standing in the East, and you're about to tell this brother who his mentor is. What is the Lodge's responsibility in identifying a good mentor? Is that a question for anyone in particular? Too? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to, we don't want to step on anyone else. No, we always let you go first, Chris. Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, a knowledgeable brother, an enthusiastic brother. Um, one of the, one of the things that uh, I've realized in, in, in going through my Masonic journey is that mentors come in all different shapes and sizes and, and uh, experience. And, um, 
really having brothers that are going to um, bring to our new brother um, different types of information and experience along the way. Uh, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier I, about my own mentors, um, and they come from a lot of different uh, a lot of different experience levels. Um, and you know, some of them have been Grand Lodge, some of them haven't. Some of them have been Masters, some of them haven't. Uh, I think of Right Worshipful Brother Joe Beaumont. I think of Tom Lau. I think of guys like that. And they've all provided me with something very special and unique um, along the way during my journey. So um, making sure that, um, that there is a balance. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it, that top line signer too. Um, you know, is going to be a part of this, but uh, to making sure that um, that that brother is going to get the support that he needs and and his questions asked, or if if that you know those brothers don't know the answer to those, those questions, they're empowered to be able to find the answers for our new brother. I like that approach. I think we actually have a comment already in the chat from uh, Brother Tony V, who says that. Uh, an answer to the question, what may, what a lot should be looking at is compatibility. Um, and I think that's an interesting perspective as well. Having mentored a, I've only mentored one brother, I think in my Masonic career and, and he and I were, were friends and it was something that certainly allowed us to have a little bit more success than I may have had otherwise. But I think that having spoken about this last week, getting to know a new prospective member really helps in, in identifying a good mentor for that individual as well, because you know what their interests are and you know, the sort of things that they're looking for out of their Masonic experience. And I think that, I think one of the important things to, to get out of, out of what we're saying here initially is that a mentor is not just the ritual. Yes. Right. Which Flackridge, I said, not just the ritual. Um, you know, we have to teach uh, the, our lessons to our brothers, and, and not only do we have to teach them to memorize those lessons, we have to teach them to begin to think ritualistically and to start to delve deeper into the various tenets of the fraternity that they're learning. And uh, not only that, but then going beyond that once that's done. Mentorship doesn't end uh, once once the Master Mason degree is uh, is conferred on a brother, so it, it's it's important for uh, for that to be an, an ongoing process and 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 beyond just the memorization of ritual. Well, but don't you think we have a very good opportunity on that evening when he has completed his first degree uh, to provide uh, mentorship in the form of everybody that's there that has shared this experience, the effusive. Uh, genuinely effusive in welcoming, welcoming him to this fraternity. And the other thing that I would say is that whomever the mentor is, in addition to being, you know, able to perform the task, it's wanting to perform the task and has a genuine interest in, in, in acting as that, as that mentor. Um, you know, I can't imagine anything more significant following this momentous night than to have perhaps people that were in attendance that perhaps didn't have the uh, opportunity to spend as much time with him, to, you know, to, to be genuine and effusive in welcoming him to the fraternity and doing a reach out. Uh, because I think, you know, as we kind of chatted last week, 
Uh, mentorship is more than just one individual and, oh, you've been assigned to do this. It's a large effort. Well, so, no, go ahead, Scott. Well, I do think that there's, uh, there's, if we look at waiting until someone has taken their EA degree to start the who should be the mentor thought process, I think we've missed an opportunity because most individuals coming in, they're going to have questions before they even start. So are we relying on that first line signer who may or may not be the best person to be that individual's mentor? Or is there someone that we may want to think about having them do that, start the mentorship prior to that first degree? You know, we all get this little booklet before we start with a little bit of information about it. And some of us have had questions before we even walk through the front door. So there's an opportunity there to actually start mentoring this individual before we even start their degrees. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that, you know, I know when I came into the fraternity, I had a lot of questions. And, you know, for me, I was a I was a walk on from the street in an open house. So I didn't really have a direct personal relationship with with my top line signer at the time. Um, and I think that presents an interesting choice. You know, do you start that process early and give them somebody other than the top line signer? Or do you want to make sure that every member of the lodge is empowered in some degree to serve in a, a capacity uh, to mentor as needed? And I think that's, you know, part of what you were saying, Dave, is that mentorship is not an individual effort. It's not an effort of the master or the secretary or, or the the individual mentor, it's, a, it's an effort of the lodge. So what are, what are you, for this is again a question for everybody, I'd like to hear some discussion. What do you think the role of the lodge is in the mentorship process? Going, going to the lodge, I mean, I think every brother has a responsibility to some degree. Now, Obviously, you know, you can't have the entire lodge actively, you know, mentoring a candidate simultaneously. But what you can have is you can have sort of a, a you know, whether it's the top line center or another brother, you know, sort of a, a mentor that is sort of the, you know, sort of uh, the liaison, you know, sort of your, your, your primary contact in the lodge as you're going through the process of your degrees so that, and then that brother, I believe, can then start to source other brothers in the lodge to be able to cover areas that that brother might be interested in. I think part of the process of, of mentoring candidate is also finding out what they're seeking. And, and as they're going through their degrees, what their, how their mindset is changing. We all know that we all come to masonry for our own reasons, right? Um, and what happens during that process, things start to change. We start to learn a little bit more about masonry. We start to learn a little bit more about ourselves and the questions that we ask and our interests then uh, tend to morph over time. So uh, being able to be a point person to be able to say, you know what? I don't know about that particular esoteric subject or I'm not sure what that line of ritual means. Let me bring in another brother to help with that process while that will that well, that main mentor, you know, your primary guy is, is the one that's sort of uh, making sure that that brother has everything that he needs along the way. So there's there's a couple of people talking in chat right now. Uh, brother Omar Morris, who I believe is joining us from the Grand Lodge in New Jersey this evening. 
and brother Dave Blue, who, who I, I'm not familiar with you, brother, but I, I imagine you're from New Jersey based on your comment, where they talk about selecting mentors and the and the process for bringing mentors in. So obviously, brother Morris said this is an argument for formal mentors and all brothers assisting, and and I absolutely agree with that. And I think Chris, that sort of echoes what you just said. But how do we pick those? great mentors? What is what is the skill set that we're looking for? I mean, we touched on it in the first question, but how do we identify those individuals and how do we train those individuals to be the right person for any candidate or maybe the right person for a given candidate? Dave, did you have any thoughts on that? I do. Um, uh, I, think, I think often you have an opportunity to observe uh, the existing chemistry that's that's leading up to that. And I think they also ought to have, you know, the opportunity to, you know, it's almost like choices among uh, folks that you know can perform the function and say, you know, what do you think about this? And well, who do you, what do you, listen, the choice is yours. Who would you be most comfortable with? Uh, I, I know we do that in our lodge and, and ultimately they usually wind up with uh, an individual who's on here tonight that I affectionately call mentor to the masters because he does an outstanding job. Um, um, so, so I think that is chemistry is so important. You know, um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go off a little bit off tangent, which is probably nothing new to any of you. Um, we, we have a, uh, a young man from Wyoming who had completed his EA degree and uh, brother grand secretary reached out, sent out an email um, uh, because he is at the, the Grand Lodge of Wyoming, is asked that we do uh, courtesy degrees. Well, you know, there's been a, the interesting thing that happened is there's been a reach out, not just from our secretary, not just from our master, but four or five people. And we copy each other so that he's hearing it from a lot of people. So guess what? You know, we're doing an EA practice because we've got an EA. He's already an EA in good standing. He joined our practice. We had an opportunity to get to know him one-on-one. -on -one. He got wow. to meet people. Um, and, uh, well, I'll stop with that because we're, we got a whole lot of chats. But I, I think when you have a lodge that is vibrant, where, where the chemistry among the lodge, not that they're walking in lockstep, are in sync uh, and have an understanding, it happens naturally because, you know, we're, we, we want to reach out. We want to have this person join us, whether it be for a meal outside of the lodge, whether it be for a practice, whether it be for, um, you know, even a committee meeting because they want to uh, uh, learn more. And Dave, Dave, one of the things that you said uh, real quick um, is very important. And it, it just goes to that connection. I think we've all sort of said this, is that if you don't establish that connection with that brother, obviously you have an opportunity to do that during the degrees, but throughout the entire uh, process and beyond make them feel like their home. Tim, you had mentioned, you know, you had mentioned this on another podcast that, you know, lodge should feel, you should be able to feel safe and warm and, and, and welcomed in your lodge. And Absolutely. I think that, that has a lot to do uh, more than just sort of the education piece, but really, you know, glomming onto that brother to make sure that they feel as though that they are a part of, this lodge and this wonderful fraternity. Well, and that's kind of how, why the lodge I belong to does things the way they do. I mean, a brother comes through once he's had that first degree, we are inviting him to when our rehearsals are, because we usually set aside the first half hour hour 
for, you know, brotherhood, education, you know, those types of things. And what's amazing is to see a new brother walk through the door and some of the people he's seen before, some of them he hasn't seen before, but he gets a chance to pull up a chair and everybody just kind of sits there and kind of chats for a little bit. And then there's a natural gravity that seems to pick up where that individual seems to, you know, I get more comfortable with, you know, like I might be more comfortable with Chris than I am with Dave. So, you know, maybe Chris can give me a hand with my lesson. And that's kind of how it starts to, to take effect. And what we find over time is, is that the mentor shifts, not necessarily every degree lesson, not necessarily every question goes to the same brother because we op operate in that whole village mentality where we've got a bunch of brothers there and we're all comfortable with each other. We all understand what each other under knows about the fraternity or where our different strengths are. So we can kind of direct the questions as we're having those conversations. Works out really well. Yeah. I mean, I've always been impressed by what I've heard coming out of St. Mark's just with, you know, meeting your rehearsals and, and the way you work your candidates, especially for me, I think that there's a lot of value to a system like that. When I mentioned the candidate that I had previously mentored, I had a real struggle with him. Um, you know, he wasn't learning the ritual. And at the time I was, I think, just coming into my role as senior deacon. So I was not really uh, as well versed as I, I maybe should have been to take on a, a mentor or a mentee rather. And one of the things that really worked and, and really, I think I credit it with him getting through his degrees was that we were able to get him in a class of individuals and in a setting where he was able to interact with other people who were on his level. So other EAs who had to learn their fellow, their ritual, and then really a rotating stable of, of Masons coming in. You know, if you wanted to talk about ritual, it was one person. If you wanted to talk about education and, and the meaning behind the ritual is maybe another person. And that really did a great job at, getting through the blocks that he and I had and within, you know, I had worked with him for a few months and he was still struggling within, I think two months he had nailed his EA degree and was ready to go for his fellow craft. And it was something that I don't think would have happened easily uh, without that group interaction and that group dynamic. Yeah, I, I think it touches on the fact that there is no one size fits all for this. You know, some people want to work with one person and they want to stick with that person all the way through. And then some people work better in a group setting where they can bounce ideas off several different people. So it's something we have to keep in mind when we start to think about mentoring new individuals as they start their journey. You know, obviously things shift a bit when you go after your degrees and get further into your Masonic career. You know, mentorship takes on a different role. But at least at the beginning, it's something we have to take a look at. It, sometimes you do need that group environment, not just the one on one. Well, I, you know, going to your point, Scott, about St. Mark's, you know, the other thing that that does is, yes, they're learning their lesson. But and I've seen it on the chat, I think, from um, uh, Brother Stalzer, uh, to a certain extent, Brother Curry. It's an opportunity for them to learn what the ritual says uh, from a, from a collective. And, and I know you all do a very nice job of that at St. Mark's. And, and over time, you have this group that's able to come together and some of those I'm going to call them walls, but it's really walls because of unfamiliarity where you get to know somebody on the level and up close and in person. And all of a sudden, it's OK to ask those questions because, you know, you're in an environment where people genuinely want to ask it, discuss it, uh, and you're comfortable doing so. And I think that goes to this whole element of um, 
you know, not losing them after the EA degree because, you know, you're developing these relationships with, with the lodge. I think this also goes to um, a point that was, you know, previously made in reference to um, sort of uh, having, having those, you know, having those connections with those candidates early on. I think part of what we were discussing in the last podcast Regarding the West Gate, getting to know brothers as they come through creates a level of comfort that you don't have if if we're just accepting a petition from a man that walked off the street that we don't know. If we're spending the time and talking about Freemasonry, obviously without getting into the ritual before that happens, um, and 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 I think those personality uh, where those personalities mesh and what that that man is looking for as well can be uh, better determined with with more time uh, front-loaded in, in the process of investigation um, than if we don't. Uh, one other point uh, that I wanted to make, and it was actually not my point, it was, I think, Brother Omar that had said this was, um, you know, Tim, how much training did you receive um, being a mentor? I mean, when you were senior deacon, I mean, we were raised the same year, so that was, you were two years old at that point? Yeah, uh, fraternity. Um, so, you know, if we're not if we're not mentoring our brothers to be mentors, teaching them how to do it, we we can make some we can make some pretty grave mistakes um, with with brothers that don't stay around because of that. And and is that a perfect segue into the fact that mentorship is not just for that candidate that is progressing through those three degrees? The mentorship goes on forever. It's our officers. It's our, our lodge brethren, and we, you know, that's a whole uh, topic upon uh, upon itself, and that's the opportunity for travel. And I think you would all agree, for those of us that do travel, not just being able to go and meet brethren and and, and perhaps sit in a degree on that evening and meet other people and see how they do it, but you know, some of the greatest uh, conversations and one-on-one bonding, if you will that occur is when you're in that car together going to and from. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, Chris, you bring up a really good point. And I think uh, Brother Morris must have been typing this out as you were talking. But I, I was, like you said, two, three years old in the fraternity when I when I took on my first mentee. And you look at the, the obviously, the change in demographics of our lodge. And as you get those more experienced people who are either retiring from, from active lodge work or, or, you know, unfortunately maybe passing on and we start looking to our younger members, you know, the, the average age of the line in my lodge is much younger than it was when I joined, certainly. And those are the people that you look at as the responsible parties in your lodge, frequently your officers who have the experience to sit in their chair and have the experience to work as they need to as an officer. But mentoring is a whole different different task and what sort of systems can we put in place uh, to make sure that those brothers are, are being given the training to mentor. And I think, you know, uh, Dave said it a little bit, you know, ongoing mentorship is not just for your first three degrees. It's not just for your first year. Mentorship is forever. And the longer that you're able to interact with a good mentor, the more you're going to be able to observe, observe and, and sort of absorb some of that knowledge to pass it on. But I think, Scott, what you said about how St. Mark's does it, 
when you have a lot of brothers rotating in or you have your right before your rehearsals and you've got your officers there, everybody, not just the candidate who's there for that half hour or hour, everybody is, is sort of absorbing that mentorship and gaining those skills, whether they know it or not. Oh yeah. I think it's one of the things that we overlook a lot of times when we start to talk about mentoring, it's not just the officer line. It's, it goes beyond the officer line. You know, yes. it's, there's, you know, every, we have a tendency to look towards the officers, you know, to your past masters, you know, those are the people we say, well, those are our mentors. Well, I know I've spent, unfortunately, I haven't had an opportunity to do it frequently now because of the uh, pandemic being in place. And those brothers also are getting older, but you know, when you have an opportunity to sit down next to a guy that's been in the fraternity 40 or 50 years and just have a conversation with him, he's mentoring and he doesn't realize it. You know, you, you know, everybody talks about, well, you want to talk to the older brothers because you want to get to know them a little bit. You want to you know, give them an opportunity to tell their stories and stuff. But that's mentorship going on because he's passing along the history of the lodge. He's giving you an opportunity to get a better understanding of the fraternity and how he looked at things as he's had an opportunity to look over the last 50 years. You know, it's something that we all miss out on, you know, when we're only, you know, 10 years in the fraternity, five years in the fraternity. We don't have that depth of knowledge from a historical standpoint. We might have it from a book smart standpoint, or we might have a desire to understand it. And that's why we're willing to step in and help another brother learn his lessons. But it runs the full gambit. I mean, I, like I said, I've had several mentors over the years that never sat in an officer's chair. And, you know, the, uh, the wealth of knowledge that they've had is just astounding. Well, I think there's also an opportunity for a shameless plug uh, in for uh it's, it's mentorship, it's education, and it's also leadership. And that's the Leadership Institute that's offered twice a year because that's an opportunity. But I also know that Brother Kirkpatrick from Federal Lodge Number 5 earlier had mentioned, you know, that part of this is he, he wanted to know who does what, who are those um, uh, appointed and elected officers, and what is their role. And that's an opportunity uh, to talk and speak so that it's not so... Uh, listen, it's a foreign language. You get that cipher book and you get the, the the ceremonies that we do and the things that we observe, and it's a foreign language, and, and you're thrust into it, uh, and it can be uncomfortable. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but you got to have people that are going to help you through it. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because I saw uh, that comment earlier, and, and it sort of passed by while we were talking about other things, but I think that's that's a really great suggestion is at the end of a, a lodge meeting to have just your officers come up and talk to you about what they do, because obviously they hear about it a little bit in the ritual, but it's so much more that, that the officers are responsible for. And each lodge has different responsibilities for their officers to explain what those roles are from a, an actual real life point of view, as opposed to just what the ritual says is something that most people don't get until they've already agreed to sit into a seat. And even then, I didn't realize what half the responsibilities were until I sat in that seat. So I think that's a really good uh, suggestion, brother. That goes to the other side of it because I was blessed because I had two past masters, very different personalities. You know, one whom would pull me in. He was a little more gruff, but uh, I never considered it offensive at all. You need to do this and you need to do that. And I'd say, yes, worshipful, I hear you. And then the other past master, who was a little bit of a, uh, a different personality, he would say, you know, you did pretty good, but, you know, you might want to consider this and you might want to consider this. 
And, and both of those gentlemen I consider to be mentors to this day uh, because they took that interest and I appreciated it and I grew from it. Well, I think, you know, you, you touched on a, a, an important topic there, Dave, is that, you know, we all think about, or at least the most people consider mentorship getting someone through their degrees. Mentorship goes long beyond that. And there needs to be an understanding that who your mentor is today may not be this right mentor for you tomorrow. You know, and it's okay to have more than one mentor. It's okay to, you know, find someone else who can answer those questions for you and help you to get to the next step of your journey. Uh, and, and I think it gets lost a lot of times when we're talking about mentorship because we're always about, you know, we got to get the candidate through their lessons. We got to get them through their Master Mason degree. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, they'll be around afterwards so we can have those conversations. But, you know, we need to go into it with the mindset that, you know, this is a lifelong type event. Uh, it's part of the reason why I, I'm so uh, reluctant to sign petitions because when I sign a petition, I'm in my mind, I'm signing on to be that individual's mentor for their entire Masonic career. Well, so let's let's talk about that a little bit, Scott. You may not be their assigned mentor for their degree work, but what is the responsibility of a top-line signer? We talked about last week what, what their responsibility is towards the very beginning process, but after they're initiated, where does the top-line signer come in? Well, hopefully they're still around. Uh, that would be nice. Know, yeah, I mean, we've all heard the stories about a first-line signer that just suddenly vanishes after that, you know, first degree, uh, which is which is not a fun thing for anybody. When I look at a first-line signer, the way I approach it is I'm signing on to help that brother not only start his Masonic career, but continue on to wherever it is that he wants to go. Uh, you know, I've only signed just a couple of uh, – oh, we lost Dave uh, – I've only signed a couple of petitions because that's my, my feeling. I'm signing on to help that brother going forward for as long as I need to. Uh, you know, I've had brothers that, you know, I've helped them through their lessons. They've been around for a couple of years and they kind of fall off. I still stay in touch with them or at least try to. Uh, and I've had others that have gone through the chairs and end up sitting as master of a lodge. So it's, you know, it's, I'm, my feeling is as a first line signer, I'm supposed to be there for them. If I don't have an answer, then it's my responsibility, at least the way I feel, it's my responsibility to help them find the answer. So my, my question then is, and your your point is excellent, Scott. Um, when do we when do we teach brothers the responsibilities of a top line signer? <laughs> well, that's when I would look at our grand education officer and ask him when that program is going to become available. <laughs> But, but again, it just it all goes to education. It does it's not not just Masonic education from you know for you know the the, the ritual intents of the, the craft, but but you know Masonic etiquette, Masonic protocol, Masonic you know what what we what our responsibilities are as Masons, as brothers, as a top line signer, well, and yeah. and I I don't think we do as good of a job, at, and I mean this in a broader sense, um, than than we could. I think the, the whole setting of expectations is something that, I mean, it's not just inside the fraternity. As as a lot of people have found out, we don't do a very good job in general. I mean, a lot of times, how, how many times have you sat down even at work to find out that, you know, the expectation of what you were going to accomplish that day was not what you thought it was. And right. you're having that conversation at three o'clock in the afternoon going, oh, I'm never going to get out of here now. 
Uh, so, you know, it's it's that type of thing. We need to take the time to actually understand what a mentor is or what our lodge feels a mentor should be, because every lodge's culture will be slightly different. You know, what what we consider a good mentor at St. Mark's may not be what a good mentor is in Wyoming. You know, it may have there may be a very different thought process. Well, I'm, I'm seeing Brother Veteroso from uh, Humane Lodge, who is mentioning that the funny thing about this whole episode to me is that we have this whole conversation at work. It's like a parallel universe. Same discussion about who is the formally assigned uh, mentor versus shouldn't we be all mentors? Um, well, well, well done, Brother Veteroso. I'm calling you out because you get it. Uh, and there's an example of a, of, of a relatively new Master Mason who is both um, an education and a ritual person. To me, they're really not any different, but he's embraced both of them. And I uh, look forward to watching his journey because uh, he gets it. Uh, and I suspect that is a function of the culture of his lodge. That is a function of some mentorship um, and, and, and well done. Well, I, I think the it goes back to what Chris said earlier on was is that everyone in the lodge should be willing to step up and be a mentor to answer those questions to help guide a, a brother regardless of where they are in their journey to where they need to go. But each individual when they start the journey should have someone that's assigned sort of like that liaison, the, the person that kind of can coach them through the the steps that they need to go through at least at the beginning of the journey until they understand okay well if i want to understand something about this these are the people i can go to uh this is where i can reach out if i if i'm unsure because we all need that initial first couple of steps to help you know with that help so it's not like it's not like a you know a little kid growing up you know the first couple of steps they always need support and then they're off and running and you're trying to figure out how if you could ever catch them so and scott don't you think that on a first line signer they come in many in many forms because a lot of times people might be scared about what the responsibilities of that first line signer is because they have this expectation that they have to be an excellent ritualist and they have to have all of the answers to everything no they just have to take the responsibility and they have to say you know you have a question of about um uh, this part of the degree we will go talk to the master or you have a question about this this is the resource and not just tell them who it is, but set it up, make the introduction, grease, yeah. grease the wheels, if you will. Oh yeah. I, I think that's, that's what you have to take a look at. And what is unfortunate is we don't set that expectation inside our lodges. You know, there's a lot of brothers, you know, we've, we've all heard the stories about, you know, well, you know, I started, I, I came in, took my first degree and then after a meeting or two with the, the guy who signed my petition, I never saw him again. I couldn't reach him. He didn't return my phone calls. You know, and we kind of leave the brother out there in the in the cold, so to speak. So, you know, and setting an expectation that, you know, when you sign someone's petition, you know, you're taking responsibility, as you said. And that might also help go towards what we were talking about in our last conversation about guarding the West Gate. Now, if you know you're responsible for that individual, are you willing to sign that petition? You know, yeah, I think, like, I think that puts a little pressure on the top line signer that may not be there otherwise. And that pressure, you know, hopefully keeps people in a position where they're not necessarily just signing a position to sign it. They're signing it because they're agreeing to that commitment. Sure. And, and that, that's a good pressure. That's a good stress. Exactly. I, I think that making sure everybody understands that obligation 
regardless of lodge culture, it's important to understand what your role is as a top line signer and developing that commitment is important. Uh, there's a note in the chat from uh, Right Worshipful Brother Dave Collins, the uh, Grandmaster Elect here for the Grand Lodge in New Hampshire, who says that as the incoming Grand Master, he's working on a mentorship plan with a group of brethren because he agrees that this is a critical, that this is critical to long-term engaged brothers. And I, I can't agree anymore. I mean, that it really is, when you look at it, the support you have as you go through your Masonic journey is going to determine whether you stick around or not. And I was very fortunate that, you know, I had people that I, I became very friendly with and close to and could ask questions when I had them. And that certainly set me up for success and allowed me to be a good officer in my lodge. And, and eventually those were the exact same people I relied on when I was master of the lodge. And, and I hope that as past master uh, now, I have the opportunity to provide that same guidance or support to, to new people. And I think there's another comment here from uh, worshipful brother Dave Blue from New Jersey, who's on the New Jersey Grand Lodge Mentoring Committee. Um, and what really strikes me about the comment is he separates what we're calling the mentor out into two roles here. And that's the instructor, who is the one who gets the candidate through their degrees and teaches them the lesson. And then there's the mentoring aspect. You know, we we absolutely lump those two together. And I think that, you know, some of that's a resource issue. Uh, for sure. But I think that understanding that a candidate cannot be assigned a mentor, really, at the end of the day, because if they're not going to be comfortable with it, they're not going to use that person in the role of a mentor. And we've talked about that already. Scott, you said as you've got candidates coming in, they may gravitate towards different people for different things. But assigning an instructor and, and helping them get through their degree and letting them find the people giving them the exposure to the appropriate people to find the right mentor is really something that's, uh, you know, I like to see because it, it sort of throws the system that I'm familiar with on its head a little bit. Well, I, I, one of the big challenges there is the expectations we're setting with the, the brother. So he's standing there in the East, he's finished his degree. You know, we give him his, you know, the, the, the books that he gets with his, when he completes his degree. And what do we tell him? We're going to assign him a mentor who's going to help him learn his lesson. Yeah. So we've set the expectation that yeah. that's what they're going to do. You know, and that's one of the things that we changed at St. Mark's is that instead of saying we're going to have, a, you know, this brother's going to help you with your lesson. It's an invitation. Look, go home, take a look at the history of the lesson. Come back on Sunday. Be here at 630. There'll be plenty of brothers here that can answer your questions and help you get started with your lesson. Well, which, it changes the perspective of what's going on. Well, which kind of comes to, because I see that right worshipful Michael Kramer, our DDGO up in district seven says mentorship is a contact sport. And I might uh, rather than a passive activity, but I might change that to incorporate one of the grand master's pillars and say mentorship is a communication sport which means that we have all of these opportunities to interface, whether it be text or email or in person or whatever it is, uh, because it is a contact sport. That's how we get to know each other. That's how we grow with each other. So Scott, you said something about setting expectations. And I think that's been a theme of this entire arc that we're on. So I've certainly sat 
on the sidelines and in an officer's chair and heard a candidate who just finished his EA degree be told, your next degree is four weeks from now. Here's your book and learn it. So one of the reasons that, you know, uh, Scott, Chris, and I wanted to invite Dave onto this episode uh, is because Chris and Dave represent two very important aspects of the Masonic experience. For those of you who attended uh, the Lodges of Instruction last year, you certainly got to see that live and in person. But I think that often we really focus on, like you said, just getting through that ritual, getting that lesson done and not understanding what the lesson even is. So you look at Chris's side of the coin and you've got ritual and the, the importance of ritual. Obviously that's the test, right? But can you pass the test without understanding the context of that work? And I think that's where, you know, Dave, what are your thoughts on incorporating education and, and to what degree do you incorporate education into the, the instruction? Well, I know that, well, I think you have to, uh, because that interchange that Brother Busby and I did, which was based on a piece of ritual uh, at the end of the Master Mason charge, um, you can you can spit it out by rote. Uh, you've returned your lessons. You've done your three degrees. You've got your dues cards. You can hold office. You can you know do all of those things. But are you truly a Master Mason in the context of what I think we all came here to do? So it has to be about... Uh, and listen, you can't you can't take it too deep too fast. Um, you may they may not want to go deep, but they should have a rudimentary understanding, or at least set an ex, not not set an expectation, but give them uh, some basic answers, which perhaps might lead them um, to to a very rich journey, which many of us are still on and and enjoying very much as we go forward. I, I think it's critical. Um, you know, we've had an opportunity in some of our, um, uh, the old master's class and our new cornerstones discussions, some of those are open to EAs and, and Felcrafts because they need it. St. Mark's is doing that on an ongoing basis. Um, and, and, and it's a funny thing. I, I, I see that um, uh, Brother Curry is also talking about mentoring in the terms of what happens when you have an older person. Well, you know, I don't think that matters in this fraternity. Um, one of the things that happens is um, we, we certainly we know, you know, you might be of this generation or that generation, but we also see uh, we look past that. We get experience. We get uh, we get educated uh, from those that have been around for a while. Uh, and I don't I don't I don't know that that matters. And I'm a little bit off topic in terms of the education piece. But um you know, having the opportunities, whether it be a workshop, whether it be a lodge-led initiative, whether it be from a trusted brother who is mentoring and saying, let's go see that EA degree, because you know what, it'll help you with your lesson and having an opportunity to talk about it on the way up, see it, talk about it on the way, on the, on the way back, if, if that's, you know, where the conversation goes. Um, it makes for a much richer Masonic experience. I think most of you would agree with me on that. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, one of the things I, I like to, I like to think about often um, when thinking about Masonry and the degrees is, is that we may all 
hold the title of Master Mason, but really we're all entered apprentices, always. And I, and I think that, that if, we, if, if a lodge sets, up, sets its culture um, to be one of, of learning and growth and humility, and I think that that's a big part of it um, at, at every level of Freemasonry, that if we, we take a look at the fact that we are all growing together, rather than we figured it out and it's just the candidate, I think that that, that changes a, a lot of the mindset in the conversation. Yeah, I think that there real, it is a cultural item. It really is. And changing or, or adapting your culture to the, the demands of the day we live in, I think, is really important to where we are as Masons and the things that we need to do going forward. Um, I, I, one of the things that I, I, I don't think we can stress enough is nobody has all the answers. No. I, like Chris said, we're entered apprentices always. And because you never have all the answers, it's important to understand that and to be able to express that. Humility is, it is such a huge part of being a mentor because you need to be able to say, you know what? I don't have the answer. I'm not the one who can tell you that, but you need to know who to go to. And I think, you know, uh, brother Curry also asked, what's the most important part of mentoring. And to me, it, it has nothing to do with your personal knowledge of the subject. It has to do with, the comfort you feel finding the answer. And, and really it's the most important part to me is the ability to get the answer for a candidate or for a brother or for anybody by knowing everyone who you can know and, and to have that stable of knowledgeable individuals to support you. And then like Dave, like you said, bringing that person to the answer, don't just get the answer and give it to them schedule it, plan it, and meet, meet the brother who's got the answer and introduce them because now you've introduced another mentor to that brother's life and that relationship grows and grows and grows. And so I think other, that's really important. The other, the other thing that I would say is, that, you know, listen, I get questions, ask questions all the time that I don't know the answer to. Um, so I either provide a resource or I go and learn it. But in this particular situation, if I'm acting as the, the conduit to get them over to this person, well, you know what? I may choose and have enough interest to find out and sit with them so that I get the answer too, so that I know. There you go. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You know, that's that's probably the that's probably the the hardest part of being a mentor is you know having the person having the the personal self awareness and the humility to say I don't know, and then being able to sit there and take the time to learn it with the individual you're trying to help. You know, there's, there's, there's so much into our fraternity, so many things to learn and understand that inevitably you come across something that you just don't know. And, you know, understanding that you don't know something and being willing to admit to it is huge. Because it also sets the brother that you're mentoring at ease. Okay, I don't have to know everything all the time. You know, it gives them, the, it, it makes them understand that, you know, we're all individuals, we're all humans, we all are all trying to learn stuff and we don't always have the answer. This whole fraternity is, is about smoothing that rough ashler and, and gaining those skills. And I think that's a, a really good way to, to identify that. And, you know, 
when you look at the Masonic experience, finding people along the way to support you and then being able to pass on that support. When you look at the allegory that we exist within uh, as it relates to uh, the ancient craft, eventually you will become the expert. And at some point you have to have sat through those mentoring sessions and sat, just like Dave said, you have to go there and learn the answer because if you don't learn it, then there's nobody else who's going to be able to pass it down to the next generation. And at a certain point, we become those people who are the, the ones that get relied on for those questions. And sitting there and learning what you don't know is supremely important to keeping the fraternity alive. Well, I see, I see Brother Kirkpatrick has something that is, is certainly relevant because another he says another thought would be to ask a new Master Mason, which he is, to participate in a few of those EA and FC lessons to share their recent experience and give oh, yeah. uh, that, that, that new, um, that new perspective that they have uh, with a whole lot more credibility than some of us old buzzards. Yeah. I, you know what? You, you tend to overlook those new master masons when it comes to something like education, because they clearly, clearly they don't have the knowledge, but you know what? You're absolutely right. Brother Kirkpatrick in that you're so much closer to the situation and to those new brothers than, than I am. It's been 10 years since I've, I've sat going through my degrees. And for somebody who just finished, the, the wealth of knowledge that you have about your own experiences is, is greater than anything I can add to the conversation. Well, yeah, I, I think it's also important to look at the younger brothers. And this is, just, this is actually a conversation we've been having in, inside of my own lodge is, is that you have, when you look at most lodges, they're looking at their core members for the mentorship of the new members they are looking at their officers. They're looking at the guys that are on the sidelines every single meeting. What you're missing is the new Masons who may not be able to make a meeting because of their work schedule or young kids at home or the older Masons who, you know, may not necessarily be able to get to the meeting because of transportation issues or health challenges, but those are excellent individuals to tap for mentors, the older guys, because they've got all, you know, they've got so much knowledge in their head, not just from an institutional level, but from a personal experience level. And then you've got the young guys who are fresh to the fraternity that are all full of fire and, and just want to go, 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 go and learn how to do stuff and go digging with somebody else. It's, it's two great end, ends of the spectrum that we need to tap. Yes. Uh, you know what, Scott, I think that that's a very good point is that lodges tend to rely on their officers a lot and, and they rely on their, their past masters of people who are there every night and, you get a different perspective from those people who may not be there every day, but who still want to be active and just may not have the opportunity to be there on your meeting night. I, I really like that, uh, that thought that you just shared. Um, we get another question from brother Curry is what do you, do you believe that your experiences outside of masonry have helped you become a better mentor? Just to answer that myself, you know, I, I don't know that I, I have become a better mentor um, because I haven't really had that opportunity um, because for me, it is something that is, is so vitally important to the candidates experience that like Scott said, where, you know, there's a little hesitance to sign that top line, that same hesitance exists to be a mentor for me, because I know that if I don't have all the answers that I may be failing that candidate. But I think, you know, from my perspective, I'm, I'm a past master of my lodge. This conversation tonight has really made me a little more comfortable with that whole concept. So what about the rest of you? 
I, I would say yes and no. Uh, from a professional standpoint, certainly, right? You, 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 when you're training coworkers and you're involved in, in making sure that other people have the knowledge they need to be able to succeed. But no, in the way that masonry isn't like anything else. And so, you know, we're forming, you know, the, you know, the, the core tenets of brotherly, you know, brotherly love is the top one, right? And so we're, we're establishing a, a, a fraternal bond with a brother uh, which is, which is a relationship only you know only akin, and I've just seen it from Brother Ellis to family, and so, uh, <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't know beyond family, right? We have our own, we have our own, you know, you know, family range of family dynamics, but you know, from a Masonic standpoint, it, it's very unique, and, and and I think that it, it's it's sometimes hard to separate um, the unique nature of the craft. Uh, in in going, you know, when you're thinking about things that tend to be more functional like this, uh, than 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 we normally would. So that that's something to keep in mind. Well, I'm going to talk. Go go, go, go ahead, ahead Dave. you go ahead, Scott. No, no, no. I'll wait for you. I'll just, <laughs> I'm going to talk. Defer. I'm going to talk now for another ten minutes. You guys shut oh, up. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, only ten minutes, Chris. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you know me too well. Uh, Chris, I know you will find this shocking, uh, but certainly your comment that masonry is like no other is absolutely true. Uh, but I think in the context that Brother Curry is asking it, you know, in our in all walks of our professional life, there are certainly some activities um, uh, that we do in our professional life and our personal life uh, that certainly uh, probably hone us knowing what we know about masonry and what we need to accomplish in masonry, both individually uh, and perhaps as a mentor, uh, that, that can absolutely uh, happen. Most of you, that how, how does that affect me, whether it be in mentorship or education programs or whatnot? Well, what is my business? I'm in the hospitality business. That's very hands-on. That's very one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. That's very, um, you know, taking care of guests and being service-oriented. So, no, do, do, do no, unless a guest is a Mason, they, they don't have that. But you know what? That's my business. And it certainly, I think, translates uh, to how I choose to deliver uh, education con content or Masonic or even uh, leadership in the lodge, um, uh, given this thing that we call Mason. So from my perspective, when I take a look at mentorship and how I put it in my head, so to speak, and the expectations I feel that masonry and mentorship have in common. I think our experiences outside of the fraternity absolutely impact and make us a better mentor. You know, we talk about both Chris and, and Dave touched on professional experiences. I worked in tech support and I was an instructional designer and instructor. So teaching concepts and helping people understand things. It was my my bread and butter day, day in and day out for years. However, the big thing that's overlooked is we all have, most of us have an excellent opportunity to develop mentorship at home. Those of us that have kids are mentoring our children every single day. Yeah. Those of us that grew up in a family with siblings helped mentor our siblings, especially the younger ones every single day yeah. and that's what shaped us into, into as individuals and shaped us as mentors 
you know, we all learn that we have to have that level of listening and understanding to deal with certain things. And sometimes there's just only one way to approach it. And you just have to figure out how to best communicate that to the individual. And I think those experiences outside of the fraternity are applicable to the fraternity. When you go to mentor in masonry, it's the information and the topics that change, not the techniques. How you handle mentoring an individual, how you show that compassion, that understanding, and the willingness to help them understand something, it, that transcends the fraternity. I mean, that, that takes place you know, no matter where you work, no matter where, what your family dynamic is. You're still trying to do those things. And I can share with you outside of my professional experience, one of the volunteer opportunities that I did for 20 years was coach football. And you know what? It definitely translates because, you know, there are some kids who you have to uh, handle with kid gloves because if you don't, uh, they lose all confidence and don't make progress. And then you have some that, uh, yeah, you got to yell at them. You got to push them. You got to, but, but you have to also know which ones you can do that and which ones you can't. And that does translate because I, I think that we have uh, people in our fraternity, although you don't yell at them, uh, that, are, that are the same way. There are some that perhaps that are shy and, and, and need to be built up and need to be, to, to kind of handle with, with kid gloves. And there are others who say, you know, come on, we need to go do this. This is, this is part of what we do. We need to go do this. Yeah, I think outside experience is certainly important in, in getting you ready to mentor. And I think what Chris said makes a lot of sense because to me, you know, I've gone through hundreds of hours of management training. You know, I'm a manager by profession. I have a degree in business management. And whether it was in school or at work or wherever it was, I've had these classes. But you also see lodges and grand lodges putting on similar classes, but they put it on through a different lens. So you teach the same material or you teach similar uh, techniques, but you learn it all through the lens of masonry because while those skills do apply, you know, as David Scott said, the way they apply and, and sort of the, the importance of the, the material and the way what you're trying to accomplish is a very different task. You know, mentoring a new employee or, or mentoring a, a colleague or something like that is, is you're trying to achieve a goal at work professionally. Mentoring here, you're trying to build somebody who's going to be an asset to this fraternity for the future. And you have a very huge stake in the game to make sure that that experience works out well for the person you're mentoring. And I think that, you know, uh, a brother Len Vanderhorn here says, life, and ex life experiences and learning how to apply and carry Masonic principles into application in our daily lives is important. And I think that's really important. It's not just outside experience that... I bring into masonry and that's part of the, the struggle I have in separating the two is because I've taken a lot of masonry out and brought it into my personal life and my professional life to the point where for me, it's very hard to separate, you know, what, what do I do because of the way I learned it and what do I do because of the way masonry has changed the way I behave or changed the way I look at things. It really, at a certain point, it all starts to come together and, you become a different person through the application of the lessons that we learn, or at least that's the goal, right? And I think that's a really interesting way to put it. So thank you for sharing that uh, comment. Um, so it's it's 8.30. I kind of want to work on, on wrapping up. So there's two questions that I think are really important to ask. If you're a brother who is looking 
to become a mentor and looking to, to be that person in your lodge, what can you do to become a mentor? What can you do to work on those skills? Well, I think, I think Dave said it a little bit earlier and that's, I mean, travel, travel is a huge aspect of that. Um, you know, I think, I think it's easy for us sometimes to live in a, live in a bubble of our own lodge and our own experience. And, and, and it goes to that learning and growth. Um, so being able to see how other, other brothers do it, how other lodges do it, participate and doing things like this and listening to brothers from New Jersey and other jurisdictions and what they're doing, um, you know, without, without travel, without <laughs> the internet and, the, and these types of things, we wouldn't have the ability to be able to do that. We, we, we would be stuck a little bit, I think. And so, uh, that, that to me is, is incredibly important in, uh, in, in learning, not just mentorship, but, uh, but, almost everything when it comes to when it comes to the craft. Well, we've we've talked about mentoring being not just something to get someone through the three degrees. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity. How does a young mentor learn how to be mentoring? We don't use mentor in a singular experience because we can take I'll use for lack of a better word senior and I don't mean age. You can have two mentors, okay? And you can do things together and that allows that young um, mentor to to observe and learn and and fit his own style uh, with this mentee that is going on, uh, and that is inclusive of travel. That is inclusive of you know how do I deliver this content? How do I point to different resources? That's how it happens, and and it's it's experience. Listen, we we would all agree, you know. Um, you know, when we when we're guarding that west gate and we, we we take that petition and we do the investigation, you know, there ought to be some of the new master masons that are going through that process because that adds to the mentorship. They're developing that relationship as a new master mason. They're learning how to do these things, you know. And then we roll into you know after the EA degree, um, you know, again maybe it's a a, a, a mentoring partnership. Uh, with the mentee, which also splits the, uh, well, I say the work, that sounds harsh, but there's also an opportunity to tag team that. I, I think that, you know, when you take a look at wanting to move into a mentor role, the travel piece is huge and it's already been touched on. I think the other two pieces to take a look at if you want to become a mentor, you're trying to move towards that mentorship is one, increase your own knowledge of the, of the craft. Yeah. You're, there's plenty of podcasts out there. There's plenty of websites out there, but also crack open a few books. You know, your lodge might have its own library or you can borrow a book from a brother that you might know or go out and start check your uh, Grand Lodge education table. I mean, we're told to check that every time we uh, show up at a Grand Lodge event to check the table, see if there's any new books. You know, so read widely and, and try to understand as much of the craft as you can. The other piece of advice I would give people who want to be a mentor is learn to listen. The, the hardest thing that you can do when you're trying to be a mentor is learn to sit there and be quiet. Yes, you want to answer the questions, but sometimes you have to give the brother the opportunity to ask the question he really wants to ask. And sometimes it takes a while to get there. So you have to be patient. You have to be willing to listen. And that's, that's a core Masonic <laughs> principle right there, Scott. Yeah, I think 
one of the, the thing that Dave said that really struck struck me is you've get, Chris and Dave and, and it's been echoed several times. You've got to be aware of what you don't know and be willing to learn those things. And, and uh, brother Ben Feldman just sent it, said it in the chat as well. You've got to be able to active in satisfying your curiosity about things you don't know. And to me, that is, that is really the key to being a good mentor is when we come into masonry, we really are asked to expose ourselves uh, very deeply. And one of those things is shedding those things. Like, you know, when you come in, you're not the expert and shedding, shedding that, I don't want to call it arrogance, but, but shedding the idea that you do have all the answers and, and acknowledging that you have plenty to learn. So part of being a good mentor is realizing that you always have to be a good mentee as well and keep seeking that knowledge, keep seeking those answers and, and keep reaching out to the people who supported you along your whole journey. I think that's really important. Um, and so I'm going to turn now to, to the two coins here, the, the two sides of the coin in ritual and education. What resources exist if we're talking about the, the business of instruction and, and mentoring a candidate specifically, what resources exist to help a mentor learn the, the key components of ritual and education that they need to pass on? Chris, we'll start with you. Really the, the human resources really primarily more than anything is, you know, is our, is, you know, our district officers or district deputy grand lecturers um, are there for that reason, not just for, uh, for simple um, making sure that the words are correct, but in, 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 in giving the words and in performing the ritual, we have to, we also have to transmit meaning. And, and if we don't know what that meaning is for us, um, or generally speaking, then, uh, then, then we're lost. So I, I think that uh, I think that utilizing the you know the the folks that are uh, you know assigned that that are that are committed to uh, you know to to excellence in those areas, uh, working with education um, to be able to provide uh, a, a balance of of different perspectives, I think is is extremely important. Okay, I'll go next. I, I want to say one thing uh, to to uh, ritual and education. We we act like they're two different things. I, I guess in some respects they are, but they're they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And our ritual is foundational. And and I can share with you that I've had an opportunity before. Uh, we had to suspend due to COVID to attend one of uh, Right Worshipful Busty's performance ritual workshop. Excellent. You know, you you hear good delivery. There's also an opportunity to ask questions, you know, from a purely educational side. If, if, if uh, one of our cornerstones uh, monthly in your geo group, but you really, uh, at least through March, we're virtual. You have an opportunity four times a month to find um, a cornerstones discussion in one of the geo groups that works for you and a topic that you're interested in or go to all four. And these topics are generally on the uh, an explanation of a piece of uh, Masonic ritual without doing the ritual, but it also includes some of the leadership things, uh, some of the old master's class topics, which are still very relevant. 
we also have, as as um, um, our grandmaster elect has has shared and who who initiated uh, our leadership institute, so that our young leaders have an opportunity to develop and become educated on what the responsibilities are for their office as they move through the line, and that makes us stronger. And and finally. Um, you know, I think as we've all said here tonight and all strongly agree, it's about an opportunity to sit and lodge together, to know each other on a very individual basis with the shared commonality of this ritual, perhaps to travel and, and be able to be in that car going to and to and from just to engage in some very basic conversation, wherever that might take you. So Scott, uh, one of the things Chris said uh, stood out to me, and that's relying on your district officers. I know that the, the joke is whenever you show up in a lodge that somebody's going to either get yelled at or, or uh, there's going to be some sort of slap on the wrist happening, those purple aprons. But, you know, actually, when really, they're asking where my son is, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. He's, he's there before you are. But it's it's interesting that. You know, you're you're a district deputy grandmaster. What what are your thoughts on on being a resource for your for your lodges and, and mentoring specifically? Well, you know, when it comes to the position I'm in now, you know, I've walked the walk, so to speak. I went through the line. I sat as master of my lodge. Uh, I'm one of the fortunate few that also sat as secretary for a few years. So I, I've had an opportunity to, to touch a lot of things. Uh, and I know a lot of the other district officers, not just in my district, but the districts uh, across the inter entire jurisdiction have been in the same or similar boats. And it's something I think that was overlooked for a very long time is, is that the amount of knowledge that a lot of district officers have. And it's not just knowledge in our heads to answer a question. It's knowledge about where to go to find the answer. You know, and the ability to understand that, hey, I know I don't know it. I can go look it up, possibly. And if I can't look it up, there's a really good chance I know someone who will have the answer who, or who can tell me where I can go to find the answer. Uh, you know, it's something that you'll find as you, the longer you stay in the fraternity, as you become an older Mason, and I mean that Masonic age speaking, not chronologically age speaking. Uh, and as you run through your, go through the chairs, if you choose to go through the chairs, or you join the appendant bodies, uh, you know, you find that the more people you know, the larger your knowledge base becomes because it's less done about us as an individual and more about the collective knowledge of the fraternity. So being able to reach out to a district officer, and I, in fact, you know, I put it at the bottom of most of my emails. If you have a question, call, you know. And uh, I have several times. <laughs> You're not the only one, Tim. Uh, and it's, it's one of the things that, you know, it, it but the, the trick is, is that when you see that at the bottom of an email or you go to reach out to the district officer or even a grand line officer or another officer in the grand lodge or a brother that's, sit, that's sitting master of the next lot in the lodge, the next town over, you know, you have to understand that from your perspective, you've lowered yourself and said, look, I understand that I don't know something. You've set that ego aside. You've set that arrogance aside. Yeah. And it goes to the person on the other side of the phone, the willingness to pick the phone up and say, Hey, I've got a brother or here that needs some help. How can I help him? You know, and it, it, it plays both ways. And 
it'd be nice if we had the fraternity and the brothers inside the fraternity, not just in our jurisdiction, but in, you know, you're all all across the, the the globe. Pick up the phone and call if you've got a question. That's what it's there for. That's what your brothers are there for. But you know, well, Scott, I think one of the things is when you put that there, it's because you mean it. Because if you do call, if you do email, if you do text, you're going to give them an answer. They're not words. Anyway. They're not words. No. And asking for help is one of the hardest things that, that any human being can do, no masonry or otherwise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, want, I wanted to share this piece. And it seems like it's a good place to do it. Um, one of the things that I do, there's a uh, there's a website out there, 365 Days of Mason. And the brother that uh, put it together was an, educa is an education officer, uh, Brother Mike Clevenger. Uh, he puts out a weekly email and in his email a couple weeks back there was something that kind of struck with me it happens to fall right on this topic uh when he's he was talking about charity though and when he was talking about charity he was going back to the the more rudimentary understanding of charity not what it is today where we write a check and we call it a day but charity is giving of ourselves giving of our time and our knowledge and helping out a brother and if you think about charity from that perspective mentorship is charity in one of its truest forms mm -hmm. i'm giving of myself and my time to help a brother and that's one of our huge what's one of the main tenets of our of our fraternity charity you know giving of ourselves giving of our time helping other brother out and mentorship falls right in that wheelhouse so if you you know if you think about it you know you're practicing masonry just by sitting there and listening to a brother and answering a couple questions for him well said Brethren, I think uh, that about wraps it up. So before we close, uh, thank you to our guests tonight, to our chat. Thank you so much. Uh, it was great to see such active conversation and to be able to answer those questions as they come in. This was a fantastic experience. Um, in closing, let me just say, get out and travel because the people you meet will be people who will support you and help you in your Masonic journey and will help you be a better mentor and a better Mason. And know who your resources are. Reach out to your district officers when you need them. That's what they're there for. Reach out to the officers of your lodge and, and, and they will help you out as well. Brethren, we are, oh boy, Scott. Uh, <laughs> I'm being reminded to remind you all again, brethren. Uh, next month, we are moving our uh, session from the first Sunday to the second Sunday due to Easter. So please join us on April 11th uh, at the usual time, 7.30 p.m. Hit us up at our email if you have any comments, questions. We're happy to answer those for you. It's on screen again. And remember, you can see us on Facebook, YouTube, or listen to us on Spotify and iTunes. Brethren, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you to my guests this evening. Have a great night, everyone. We will see you next time. Thank you, brother. Good night. Bye. Thank you.